The 920 KBEC Podcast Network is presented by the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with House Swayze. Up-to-date information on the local real estate market on your time. New episodes weekly at the podcast link at 920kvec.com and wherever you get your podcasts. California DRE 01111911. Three oh seven on the Central Coast as we say uh, a good Thursday afternoon to you and welcome to Hometown Radio. Finally up and ready now on this Thursday, February 16, 2023. I'm Dave Congleton. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for supporting live local hometown radio. We are with you all the way till 7 o'clock. On the show today, straight ahead, during the 4 o'clock hour, Eric Viam and Laura Albers will join us. We're going to put the focus on a program called Resilient SLO, creating everyday opportunities for local climate action. What exactly does that mean? We will find out. At 5.05, February is many things. It's also Black History Month. So the folks at the Diversity Coalition of Slow County and the folks at Race Matters SLO have come together to put together a special program. We'll talk about that. And then uh, from 5.30 until 6, we will give you a chance to score free tickets. Is this going to be your lucky day to go to Vina Robles on uh, Friday, August 25th to see Chicago in concert? We've got tickets today. And tomorrow, and that's it. And then at 6.05, Ron Eucleson and Joe Whitaker share their passion for Hot Wheels. Still a little nostalgia. It is a Dave Congleton show. Always your hometown radio talk show. In this first hour, we have a lot of different stories to cover, all related to Sacramento and Washington and California. That's a lot, but we'll cover it all. Because our guest, we welcome back to this broadcast of one, the only Mr. Mike Nolan. Mike, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Good afternoon, Dave. It's good to be with you. How are you, sir? Good, good. It's a, it's a cloudy up here, though. Well, it's cold down here. It's been cold here all week. Well, yes, but it's been colder up here. <laughs> uh, we're just off to a great start. All right, well, thanks, Mike. Nice to talk to you. Let's move on. <laughs> no, no. All right, so a lot to cover. Let's start with what I consider to be the big news, big political news throughout California, and that is the fact that Senator Dianne Feinstein, who has been in office since 1992, uh, announced this week that she would not seek another term in office. You can't say you're surprised by that, Mike, are you? No, I'm not surprised, but uh, it is a shake. It, it, it is a, a, a watershed moment. She's been uh, active. She's been a prominent in California politics since uh, not, really since 1969. So we're, we're talking about over a half a century of where she was uh, a, uh, a growing force and, and, a, and a dominant force in uh, California politics. Um, I guess clearly she came on everybody's radar in 1978 with the assassination of the mayor of San Francisco and the, the supervisor Harvey Milk. She became acting mayor, then she became mayor, and her career just 
skyrocketed from there. That's right, but she had a she had a well grounded beginning. She had she'd been uh, in the nineteen, you know, she her, her uh, was born in San Francisco. Her um, uh, she went to uh, one of the, the top schools, uh, the Convent of the Sacred Heart, was a top Catholic school for for women at the time. Uh, when she graduated, she got to um, her parents gave her the choice: she could become a Catholic or or, or become Jewish. And she decided uh, to go with Judaism. So really? the um, huh. really that's <laughs> no so so. But then she went and uh, she had uh, you know her life is uh, you could make a quite a movie out of it. She had three husbands. She got married uh, when she was in her early twenties to a guy named Jack Berman, who was later became a judge, and uh, they had one child. But I think I remember her saying, "We were young and didn't know what we were doing," and after. A, Three or four years, they got divorced. Uh, subsequent to that, she married um, one of the great neurosurgeons with a great reputation in San Francisco, uh, Dr. Bertram Feinstein, and he had, in 1962. And he had uh, he had enough uh, of, uh, resources to help fund her political campaigns uh-huh. early on. Uh-huh. And uh, in 19, I remember her first job was getting appointed to the um, Women's Board of Prison Terms in the, for for the state by Governor Pat Brown. Now the the idea of that was that she was only I think 28 years old, a young woman on her on her dealing with uh, people incarcerated and and the women incarcerated with the issues. And from that she went on and ran for the Board of Supervisors in San Francisco in 1969. Did she win her first time? first time? She won the first time. Not only did she win, she came in with the top number of votes. Uh, so uh, she was uh, uh, in her um, you know, her early, mid-30s, and uh, she, uh, in those days, San Francisco elected your supervisors uh, at that election, five at-large seats. So you got the vote five times, and she came in with the top vote getter, and that made her president of the board of supervisors. And so she was the first woman president of the board, and also one of the youngest board members, uh, youngest people to be president of the board, which is the number two position under the um, city government of San Francisco. So then she became she, mayor when Mascone and uh, Harvey Milk were assassinated. Well, I think the what you have to realize she had her ups and downs. She she got elected, but the popularity she had in 1969 propelled her to run for mayor in 1971 against Joseph Aliotto. And I remember reading about her in Time magazine at that point, like this this up and coming young woman, uh, uh, almost uh, uh, 38 years old, on her way to uh, become the first woman mayor of San Francisco. And on election day, she finished third. Very disappointing. And um, two years later, she ran again for the board of supervisors uh, because she she has a four year term. She had a holdover seat, right. and she again came in first, overwhelming number of votes, and got elected president of the board of supervisors a second time. And that's in 1973. So in 1975, back when I was in doing stuff in San Francisco, the, um, she ran again for mayor for an open seat uh, against uh, George Moscone and, um, and, a, and a bunch of uh, several others, really strong candidates, 
uh, and she again came in third. It was the big upset. How could she? And she came in third to a Republican behind a Republican, um, uh, Joseph Barbara, Barbara Gelada, who had, was a, a Republican. Back then, you had Republicans on the Board of Supervisors in, in San Francisco. Hmm. And uh, people were, like, shocked that she couldn't make it. That's when, remember, friends saying, oh, she always won the supervisor's election because she was at least everybody's fifth choice to be supervisor. But when you had just one vote to cast, you could always find somebody better than her. Is that what and you her, believe? Her strong. Is that what you believe? What, what? Do you believe that? Oh, oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay. no, she was uh, no one. She never had a she her. And this is you know her her strong point and her downfall. She always tried to accommodate people. She always was never viewed as a threat. She always wanted to get along with even her political opponents. So there was never, uh, almost hardly ever, a angry word out of her. She would be she, later. She'd be indignant over certain things, uh, gun control, for instance. But, but the um, uh, so she had this. But there were she had a small core of really devoted supporters. But generally, people had Diane. They could always find somebody that they liked more. It seemed, and. Um, in 1977, she ran again for the board. This time they had district elections. She was elected, and the board had to select a president, and the board voted for her for her third term as president of the Board of Supervisors. All right, let me and stop you there. I remember at the time, well, well, I was going to say... Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, she was ready to, to quit politics because uh, she realized there was no, uh, there was no avenue for her to... Uh, uh, move on when okay. the uh, uh, tragic uh, assassination of uh, George Moscone and Harvey Milk occurred. And we'll pick up that story as we talk with Mike Nolan, tracing the remarkable career of California Senator Dianne Feinstein, our senior citizen, our senior citizen, well, our senior citizen senator, I'll work with that, who uh, last Tuesday announced that she would be retiring at the end of the current term. I'm Dave Congleton on AM 920 FM 96.5. News Talk KVEC. Mike Nolan is the perfect guest for this conversation as we trace the career of the remarkable Diane Feinstein, California senator since 1992, as Mike has been sketching out, involved in politics in one shape or another since the 1960s, announced on Tuesday that she is retiring. All right, Mike, let's get to it. 1978 is the pivotal year. You were about to explain where was Dianne Feinstein politically? Where was her career in 1978? Well, in, in 1978, she was president of the Board of Supervisors, but it looked like uh, the uh, her ticket to advance had passed, that uh, George Moscone would easily be reelected uh, in uh, 1979. And... Um, uh, the, the, the prospects didn't look good for political advancement at that time. Not only that, and what a lot of people forget is in April of 1978, her husband, Dr. Feinstein, died at the age of 64, relatively young, and he, he was, um, uh, you know, a world famous uh, uh, physician and surgeon. And um, 
So 1978 was a tough year for her. In April, that happened. And then in um, uh, November, you had the uh, uh, supervisor, uh, ex-supervisor, who um, uh, Dan White, who killed, uh, went into City Hall and assassinated the mayor, George Moscone, and, and the first gay supervisor in San, uh, San Francisco, uh, Harvey Milk. And uh, between shooting Moscone and shooting Milk, uh, if you've ever been to the board, the, the, uh, city hall in San Francisco, the mayor's office is on one side of the building, the supervisors are on the other side. And as White runs to the um, supervisors to go after Milk, he who does he run into but Diane Feinstein, who says, hey, how you doing? And he just said, hi, Diane. I got uh, I just left. Uh, the idea is, uh, from her, she she got along with everybody. Even she didn't know that this was that what he was up to. Right. But she she wasn't just because he was on the outs and had lost his job as supervisor. She was still willing to talk to him and engage in a conversation. And um, if she could have, she would have uh, she would have stopped him if she had known. But and, yeah, so, and Dan White didn't harm her in any way. No, no, he was he was a man on a mission. It was a tragic and escaped and, and eventually surrendered. And he was, uh, uh, you know, White was a former fireman and a policeman. He had uh, he had a lot of uh, uh, when he first ran for the board of supervisors, he thought that he would have had a lot of potential, but um, uh, he just went crazy, and that came about in his in his trial. But Diane had the the city was really shaken. And uh, Diane, as president, had to become acting super, uh, acting president. And I remember the uh, the protests and the people attacking City Hall for the. Um, uh, I was up there, saw it happen. It was uh, it was a real um, defining moment. Now later, she was appointed. The board of supervisors voted to make her permanent mayor. And she was reelected in 1979 uh, against another supervisor, uh, Quentin Cop, who was a uh, 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 became later a um, uh, state senator from San Francisco, and, and a, uh, 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 I think he may be still around. He may be anyway. Quentin Cop, and so she uh, she served, and um, uh, she, she beat Cop. It was a close election, fairly close. But she started her administration. She worked on gun control. And um, because she brought a, a, a ordinance to prohibit the ownership of guns in San Francisco, a, uh, a fringe group filed a uh, recall against her in 1983. And they were able to, they were a fringe right-wing group, but they were able to uh, get support from uh uh, people that thought that Diane Feinstein was too conservative. In other words, they were able to get. It was a very broad. It was a extreme right and extreme left joined to put uh, Feinstein under a um, getting a having a recall election. But uh, when that happened, she easily she won over eighty percent of the vote mm-hmm. and just another uh, assured that she would win the next election easily. Do you and, ha- which she which she did. Do you happen to recall how Dan White was able to kill two people and only was given a seven-year prison sentence? He was, uh, yes, yeah, so the, the um, 
what they showed is that he was acting under um, uh, uh, a, a, a delusional enterprise, basically. And the the idea that White was a guy who worked out, took care of himself. Everyone uh, said, "Yeah, he, he's um, um, you know really great guy." But then he had this depression, he would fall into depression, and that's where he would just sit around and eat junk food and yeah. not exercise, just stare at the TV. And that's where the famous Twinkie defense yeah. came in. They, the Twinkies made him do Defense it. attorneys. Yeah, showed that he was, uh, he was depressed. He was uh, suffering under depression. So he, so he didn't get the maximum sentence. He was sentenced to hmm? seven years, and he only served five. Right, and he yeah. ended up killing himself. He kill, yeah, he ended up. Two years later, he he had he killed himself. Yeah, it's very. If it's just um, he shouldn't have been in politics. You know, it's just, especially San Francisco politics. It's just the um, uh, didn't didn't understand that he was out of his depth. All right, I got ninety seconds before the news break, Mike. So, as a mayor, did Feinstein rise to the occasion? Was she considered an effective mayor? Very, very effective. She she worked really well. She had her she had her faults, you know, but, but the um, her effectiveness was uh, uh, enough that when she retired in 1988, she ran for governor in 1990, won the Democratic nomination, beating the Democratic state attorney general in the primary, and then from Los Angeles, no less, and um, only barely lost the governor's race to Pete Wilson in 1990. Which Again, set, a surprising yeah. loss. Right. Which sets the stage for 1992 when she runs for Senate. Also a good uh, place which to stop. Uh, we are in conversation with Mr. Mike Nolan. He is uh, gracious enough to join us today to talk a little bit about Senator Dianne Feinstein. She has been our senator since uh, 1992. She and Barbara Boxer went to the Senate t- together. She announced last Tuesday at the age of 89 that she will finish out her current term in 2024 and will not run for re-election. So uh, Mike is putting her career in perspective. And one of the things I want to ask Mike when he comes back is to talk about the time he met Dianne Feinstein and impressions that he had of her. And some other topics as well. There's a lot to cover on this opening segment on the Dave Congleton Show. we got news and traffic and weather and more of our visit with Mr. Nolan. Stay with us, please. Tomorrow, we're going to uh, have our pet of the week. We're going to enjoy whatever John Lynn sends us from Lynn's. We're going to talk about the need for docents at uh, the Mission Church. Uh, Annie Lorenzen is going to uh, check in. Uh, we may have our open line. We may not. I'm, we've got some news breaking here that I may want to follow. But all we need is you. Weekday afternoons from 3.05 to 7 o'clock right here on KVEC. I'm enjoying this conversation with Mike Nolan. Talking about uh, Dianne Feinstein, longtime senator from California, who announced last Tuesday that she would not run for re-election. Um, 
realistically not to the surprise of anyone. We'll get into all that here in a little bit. Uh, and Mike has been tracing her career. And as we pick up the story, Mike, I also want to point out that I'm not going to suggest that you're close to the senator in any way, but you have met her a couple of times. What's your impression of her? Oh, uh, well, you know, I, I graduated from Mission High School, and the, well, I didn't graduate from actually San Luis High School, but I went to Mission for 11 years out of 12. And I just want to say, she had that impact of, you could tell, she went to the convent of the Sacred Heart. Uh, the the idea that the nuns in any school tried to impart the, you know, you have to be polite and gracious and, um, uh, uh, you know, benevolent to other people that you're talking to. And so she always struck, she, when I met her, it was, that, it was that, kind of, that kind of thing. You met, she was happy, she'd talk to you, and then, you know, that was a, a very gracious kind of uh, conversation. Uh, the other person who had that was also Nancy Pelosi. Again, they, uh, someone when you met them, they were very gracious. You know, you were oh, really nice. You know, the 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 nuns had a way of um, uh, taking the edges off people, male and female. So yeah, I saw. So anyway, yeah. that's. I'm sorry. I was going to say I saw the documentary about Pelosi, and I really don't know that much about her, but the Catholic dimension to her really comes out. Right, and, 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 you know, I followed her. I met her back in 1975, and you, know, you realize, again, a very gracious person, very, very uh, uh, polite. Um, there was a, there was a, you always had a feeling, though, that uh, you uh, didn't want to, you didn't want Nancy to get mad at you. <laughs> Diane was much more forgiving in that way. But she wanted, very rarely did you ever see her get angry. So, so in 1984, she was mayor of San Francisco, and the Democratic Convention for the nomination of the president was in San Francisco. And she put on a great show and the, uh, a, a great convention. And the, the, what people forget is that Walter Mondale, she was his second choice to be vice president. That's right. Behind uh, Geraldine Ferraro. That's right. And, and if he had picked her, it would have been, uh, she could have been the first woman president of the United States. She would have been a, a great candidate because uh, uh, she was liberal, but she was also had a ties with the business community. And this is why people, people, uh, certain people in San Francisco didn't like her because she was too moderate when it came to many, um, uh, you know, business, business issues in San Francisco. And this undermined her in when she ran for governor in 1990. That um, uh, you know, there there were certain elements that thought she was just too too moderate to be a good uh, governor. But in 1992, uh, she was the the winning in the Senate was um, was uh, she easily won that race. Well, of course, uh, what do we have in 1992? This is on the heels of Anita Hill and Clarence Thomas. And everything that came out of that whole confirmation hearing and what happens in California, we get Dianne Feinstein and Barbara Boxer, the first women senators from California. Right. And, and, and we get Bill Clinton as, a, as elected president, as the first Democrat to carry uh, California in, in, uh, since uh, Lyndon Johnson in 1964. Hmm. The Remember, though, in two years, 
um, the uh, congressman from Santa Barbara, representing San Luis Obispo County, Michael Huffington. Michael Huffington. He, he got elected in 1992. He ran against her, spent $25 million, which is a lot of money then. Still is now, but it was just just overwhelming. He was married to Arianna Huffington at the time. Yep. And... Um, he almost won. He almost beat her. It was down to a. It was a long count on election night. I'll tell you. Uh, I have a dear friend who recently passed away, who was Huffington's uh, Northern District. What, wait, let me rephrase that. He was one of his uh, congressional district representatives. He had been told that when Huffington won the Senate, not if, but when Huffington won the Senate, he was going to have the job of Northern District Director. And my friend wow. quit quit the job a week before the election because he just couldn't stomach Michael Huffington anymore. And I guess the pollster had gone to him and said, you need to spend X amount more of money and you'll win. And Huffington refused to spend the money. But you're so right, Michael. Feinstein almost lost to Michael Huffington from this district. <laughs> yeah, from Santa Barbara. And Huffington got elected beating uh, the uh, longtime Republican incumbent, Bob Lacamarcino, yep. uh, in the Republican primary. And um, he, he served just one term. It was a flash in the pan, but he almost took uh, down uh, Diane Feinstein. And... Um, uh, so, in other words, she's never had an easy road in politics. No. It's, it's never come easily for her. She had to work for everything. And that's when I met her, you get that impression. She's a, she's a policy person. You know, she goes home and reads traditionally, you know, reads the documents. And this is what's so tragic about her now is that she's. Um, the, you know, the, the, she, uh, you, you can't do that at her age right now. She used to be right on top of things and just just going. I was reading about Don Lemon today saying Nikki Haley at fifty one was too uh, not in her prime. <laughs> like Diane Feinstein was in her prime only until the last few years where she started to decline. Yeah. Really, a strong strong force in, for California in the U.S. Senate. I think that's a very important p- point, Michael. And it's uh, my concern is we have to remember that at least as a senator, there are two chapters to Diane Feinstein. One is 1992 to I don't know 2018, and then there was a debate about whether or not she should run for this last term. And Kevin DeLeon challenged her as another Democrat. She squashed him. But now, these last few years, there have been uh, questions about her mental health and her cognitive ability. And I don't want people to remember that senator. I want them to remember the senator prior to 2018. Oh, absolutely. And, and the United States Senate has always had issues about cognitive senators with cognitive decline. You have, uh, back in the 1950s, they had um, uh, sent the chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee and. 1957 had to step down because of the newspapers and everyone were saying you'd have he'd have a, hold a meeting then he of the foreign relations committee then he would leave and then his chief of staff would come in and they would have an informal meeting and make the decisions because the the senator from Rhode Island was uh, he was about 88 at that time and just not just not up to it and he he did the same thing. He had to, uh, and this is what was sad, is Dianne Feinstein was at the point of being the first woman president pro tem of the United States Senate. 
at the beginning of this year, and she couldn't, and that's a rather ceremonial role, and she couldn't perform that. And she said, no, I can't, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. And she was passed up. And the only other senator that that's ever happened to was, again, someone who was, uh, had suffered a stroke and was, had, had, had disappeared from the Senate, but staying home. I know, it calls so, for, you know, I know it calls for speculation on your part, Michael, but do you think she waited too long to make the announcement? And why didn't she make it sooner? Oh, I wish she had not run for re-election. That was just the, 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 the it was just one term too long. And you see this with, uh, well, and yeah, it's, it's, um, you hate to see people get forced out. At the same time, again, she was so involved in politics that there's, um, you know, there's uh, uh, this is what she loved, this is what she did, and she was happy. She's happy now to be where they were. I, I do. I remember a quote from from uh, Orson Welles back in the 1960s saying how all these old uh, older people back then they held an office because if they retired, they'd just be you know, people would forget who they are. And so this is the only way that they can keep relative, uh, relative. people still listen to them. Otherwise, he was talking about Charles de Gaulle at the time in, in France, but there is this idea that when you're a, a, a United States senator, no matter what age, you have people listening to you and talking to you, and you're, you're an important person. Mm. We're getting perspective from Mike Nolan this opening hour on Hometown Radio. Uh, senator Dianne Feinstein, our senator, announced last Tuesday that she will not run for re-election. At the age of 89, Michael is uh, putting perspective on her career. We'll come back for a final segment in two minutes right here on KVEC. If you're just joining us, my guest is uh, Mike Nolan, a uh, longtime contributor to this broadcast, the go-to guy on this issue. We're just talking about Diane Feinstein and her legacy and her career. Uh, last Tuesday, she announced that she would not run for re-election. She is retiring. And uh, Mike, as we're back with you, obviously, you I would think that you uh, feel that Barbara Boxer handled it correctly. She and Feinstein went to Senate at the same time. But Boxer bailed years ago. She didn't stick. She didn't overstay her welcome. No, no, you're exactly right. And but she had a, a she had she assumed. I, I think Barbara Boxer assumed she was going to get a, a, a an executive appointment from President Hillary Clinton, yeah. and that that's how she worked that. But she didn't see herself going back to Moran. That she would still have a political future. And it's unfortunate. Diane should have, um, at a certain point, should have should have taken a um, appointment from Barack Obama. That would to ease yourself out. That's how I feel. I'm sure at her point, she had a, she has a really good staff, and if you got her on your side for any kind of bill, it was in in the Senate. She was a really strong person because she had good relationships, not with just the Democrats, but with the Republicans too. And so she was able to, um, you know, she's if you know, the standouts of her of her career are uh, protecting uh, the environment, desert protection in California, 
and uh, she passed the first uh, law against uh, semi-automatic weapons in the United States. We pushed that through the Senate and it passed the House, and Clinton signed it. So she, and then she was on the Senate Intelligence Committee for many years, vice chair. And uh, she was one of the few people who was not a lawyer who became chairman of the Judiciary Committee, Senate Judiciary Committee. And so she had a strong impact on uh, the judiciary in California and in the um, uh, the rest of the country. When I if you re- wanted to get a judge, if you wanted to get a judge appointed, you wanted her on your. If even if you were a Republican, you wanted her on her on your side. And the way to get her on your side was say. If you're a Republican, I'll appoint a Democrat to California Hmm. if you allow, if you let us get a Republican in the, the, you know, Illinois or Missouri. As I recall, she frustrated progressives because they thought she wasn't liberal enough. Yeah, that's exactly, that was her, her entire career. And, you know, the worst thing for her was at the end of the Amy Coney Barrett, uh, 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 hearings, she, you, you know, gave a big hug to uh, Lindsey Graham, you know, like uh, because it, that's how she always worked. She always tried to see it from the other point of view and try to connect with your opposition. And in a um, much more polarized Washington now, uh, that was considered of like, oh, she's in fact that. They, she lost the uh, leadership of the Democratic uh, uh, Committee because of that. They just felt she wasn't strong enough to uh, oppose the uh, Lindsey Graham as chairman of the uh, Judiciary Committee. And that was so, most likely a factor of age. Well, she was always that way. The, the, mm. the, the factor of age comes in that she didn't didn't see the clue that um, that you, there's a that the times are changing, and uh, people expected her to be more aggressive in her opposition to uh, the Republicans on the in the Senate committee. And she was under scrutiny on television, and people could size her up. And it's an it's an uh, it's unfortunate. Uh, to, to one extent, you can say yes, that was uh, that's that's how the Senate's supposed to operate. But on the other side, it was um, that's when people when she ran for reelection, you know. The Democratic Party endorsed Kevin DeLeon. They didn't endorse her. And I think she got reelected because a lot of Republican voters in 2018 who were voting for John Cox, if you remember him, decided we're going to vote for Feinstein because uh, she's not as liberal as DeLeon will be. If you're just joining us, our guest this hour is uh, Mike Nolan, attorney at law and political analyst extraordinaire. We're just charting the remarkable career of Senator Dianne Feinstein, our senator since 1992, who announced last Tuesday that she would not be running for re-election, which leaves open a very interesting race. So far, we've got uh, Katie Porter and Adam Schiff have both declared, and I guess Congresswoman Barbara Lee has set up uh, a committee to explore or whatever. So she's getting in. We have at least three Democrats running to replace Dianne Feinstein, Mike. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you, you'll have more. Because this type of uh, uh, opening only comes once in a generation. 30 years. This is 1992. This is your 
this is the chance that people have to run for office. And Pelosi so. is already in, uh, Pelosi has already endorsed Adam Schiff. Right, and I. But uh, there are other candidates that are being mentioned: uh, the Attorney General Rob Bonta, the Secretary of Health and Human Services, the former State Attorney General Javier Becerra. He hasn't mentioned that. That's me saying. I would be. I. I wouldn't be surprised if he threw his hat in the ring, as well. So you're. And so there's other candidates that will will pop up. You'll you, be surprised. You're. You're expecting a lot of candidates, and we're talking. All these candidates we're talking about here are Democrats. Just about because all you have to do is come in second, and then you're in the runoff. Remind, so just the yeah. top two. That's. And you, uh, the other factor was some billionaire. Tom Steyer comes to mind. Might think. Well, maybe I want to be a senator, and they have the checkbook to be able to write it, you know, write the thing. The the other thing to remember is Dianne Feinstein's one of the wealthiest members of the United States Senate. And I was reading where her financial disclosure statement back years ago was something like 357 pages long. Jeez. Uh, and the, the Chronicle, the San Francisco Chronicle, called it the size of a city phone book. And um, <laughs> but a lot of it was in blind trust. She always tried to be a, a very uh, careful about that. She also had, as I was saying, she had a strong staff. But she also came under uh, criticism when it came out that her driver in San Francisco was someone connected with the Chinese Communist Party. <laughs> so she did have criticism. She did have blind spots. She did have. She wasn't perfect, but no one, no one is. Yeah. So, um, of all these candidates we've mentioned, how do you see this shaking out? Who poses the biggest threat, or is it too early to tell? There's no threat. It's the uh, the, the question is: Will the Republicans go behind one candidate? And if if not, the um, then how will the Democratic field shape up between the top two? Because the top two will, in the March primary, and it's only a year away, will run off in um, in November. And um, if you get elected to the Senate you've, from California, you're probably going to stay there for a while. You're going to have a long commute, but you'll be there for a while. And thanks to the screwy Abel Maldonado primary system now, <laughs> We could end up with two Democrats. Most likely, it will be two Democrats running against one another for the Senate seat. Well, yes, but it has happened in districts where if you have like eight strong Democrats running, they split up the Democratic vote too much. You might have the top two be two Republicans. <laughs> and that's, that's when you really know that this is this, the Maldonado system doesn't work at all <laughs> would you would you expect uh, diane feinstein to endorse oh diane may but she's not um uh, she's uh she doesn't have the constituency to really make any kind of um uh, uh you know endorsement she could have i remember back when i was a kid in 1964 we had uh, senator claire angle he filed for re-election but he was dying of brain cancer at the time and he had to withdraw, and uh, he just people forgot in the before the Democratic primary, and and um, but he still got two hundred thousand votes in the primary. It's funny people voted for him just out of respect. So yeah, out of respect, and 
They didn't like Alan Cranston or Pierre Salinger in both. <laughs> uh, there was an interesting article on Political.com that essentially argued that Dianne uh, Feinstein uh, waited too long to make her announcement. And as a result, the rest of California had already moved on. Nobody was sitting on pins and needles wondering what she was going to do. They didn't care. Once Katie Porter declared, then Adam Schiff declared, Feinstein didn't have any choice but to announce that she was retiring because California was moving on without her. Uh, that's possible. But if she had run for re-election, uh, there would have been hundreds of thousands of voters who would have voted for her, mm-hmm. just out of habit. I got six. Oh, no, go ahead. Well, the possibility was she would have ended up in the top two seats, depending on how many other Democrats were running. I guess, but there's no uh, point in her running. Yeah, 60 seconds to address a text message on the Stolberg-Tatum text line. Listener says that Feinstein could endorse a moderate Republican. Highly unlikely, because she's, she's always been a Democrat, and will, will, um, she might endorse a moderate Democrat, uh, but... Um, I don't think uh, she's uh, and at this at this stage she's on her way out. She's really it's unfortunate captive to her. Um, I mean, she depends on her staff, and I don't think her staff are going to going to let let that happen. Yeah. No, uh, that's that's my that's my idea. Mike Nolan, we so enjoyed this conversation. Thank you as always for making yourself available. I got twenty seconds for a final thought about Diane Feinstein. Well, so Diane Feinstein is uh, uh, shows the, the importance of hard work and attention to detail, policy, dealing with your opponents in a in a in a relatively friendly manner. But at the same time, as a warning, don't at a certain point the the time is uh, gets us all in the end. And she should have. It, it, it's their time to go now. All right, and Mike, it's your time to go now. Thank you for joining us. All right, here we go. News, traffic, weather, 4 o'clock hour starts now. The 920 KBEC Podcast Network is presented by the Slow County Real Estate Podcast with House Swayze. Up-to-date information on the local real estate market on your time. New episodes weekly at the podcast link at 920kbec.com and wherever you get your podcasts. California DRE 01111911.